Desideratum is a Latin word. It means things that are desired as essential. The Desideratum podcast celebrates stories, the art of telling, and the journey of listening. With narrator Teresa Bakken and her author, artist, and wordsmith friends. Episode 20. Our featured story is from author Pamela Scholzvik, who says she always considered herself a nonfiction writer, trained to tell the truth, until one day she discovered she likes to make things up. She's written a vampire novel that she says is not your daughter's vampire story. The first time I saw her was on our Zoom call. She's got loose, wavy curls in her hair, really open and animated facial expressions. And you can hear her bracelets clattering together every now and then while we talk. I thought the premise was great. I thought your characters were incredible. I thought it had good heart and good message so I'm really excited to talk to you about it. And well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, about you first, because what I find really interesting when I look on your website is that there are interviews about death professions. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So maybe we'll start there. What okay. is her? All right. Well, um, all right. So, so this in 2008... I was like, I was going through, I guess, a midlife crisis. I was 38 and I'm like, I, 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 I've always written and I, I want to validate that. So I wanted to go to grad school to get my MFA in creative nonfiction. Mm. And so I went and my mentor at the time, um, we were supposed to talk about what I was going to write, you know, as my thesis. She didn't call, so I I called her, and I got uh, a funeral home, and um, I called again. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry, I keep calling you, but I'm trying to reach my mentor. And then she finally called me and said, well, when I'm on the phone on my landline and somebody calls me, it gets diverted to a funeral home. I'm mm-hmm. like, well, that's really weird. And so we started talking about weird jobs and I'm like, I could never work in a funeral home. That just seems like it would just be the saddest job ever. And she's like, well, why don't you go find out what that's like? So in the small town in Durango, Colorado, I decided to explore death professions. So I interviewed the embalmer um, who worked at the morgue there, the coroner. Um, I rode along with EMTs one summer and um, a photographer with, with Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep who took pictures of babies who died at birth, mm. um, which was extremely sad. And um, so I wrote my thesis and that turned into my first published book, which is called Death Becomes Us. So I did this blog called The Death Writer. And so I wanted to normalize death and talk to people about grief experiences because one of the things I discovered while writing this book is that it wasn't a fear of death. It was a fear of being present with people when they were grieving. I wanted to normalize grief experiences and talk about it and have people share their experiences. So that's what I did. So I did that with people talking about their 
experiences with death, you know, different types, you know, parents, spouses, friends, children. Mm -hmm. And then I also talk to people about um, working in death professions, like people who work the blog, I, there were more professions than I'd realized, you know, I guess it, it is a, it is a part of life, death is, and so yeah. it is a component to our, to living in community, right, that we, what do you do with your dead people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what happens after you die, literally to a body, and so all of those um, professions, that was kind of fascinating to look at all of the different ways that people are engaged and involved in death that I hadn't, that I hadn't really thought of. So how did, um, how did then writing about an undead, uh, how did that flow from that idea? Like the, then your fiction is about a vampire. Yes, I know. It's very strange. Um, I've always considered myself a nonfiction writer because everything I've had published in literary journals and then that first, you know, book has been true. It's, you know, and I've been trained to write the truth and to not make things up. But um, one day my son was just like, I think he was in fifth grade at the time. And he just said, mom, what do you think would happen if like a vampire, like a teenage vampire went to a tanning salon because he was tired of being pasty. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I, I really don't know. And, but then I, you know, I couldn't erase that thought from my mind. I'm like a vampire going to a tanning salon and but I didn't want to think about the teen, you know, because that seems to be the focus of, you know, vampire fiction is the young, you know, sexy vampire. I'm like, I, you know, I'm a, now I'm 50 years old. I will be 51 next month. I was thinking about the invisibility that I've experienced getting older in American culture and how that happens. So I began thinking about this woman who in the last kind of ditch attempt at vanity goes to a tanning salon and she's a vampire. (laughs) She's very, um, she's very tired of being a vampire and, you know, it's not the, Oh, this is, you know, such an awesome thing to be a vampire. You know, she was turned at the most undesirable age in American culture, which is the age of menopause, which is well, the typical age of menopause, which is 51 so it's like that kind of was the jumping off point. And then I discovered I really enjoy making things up. So I was like, I, I had a lot of fun writing this book. Um, yeah. And it's like, where did these people come from? I don't know. I don't know these people, <laughs> but they kind I of. Tell. I can tell you had fun with it. It is, um, it is a fun book. And I think there's a lot of humor, um, but a, it's very different from any vampire book I've ever read. Like you said, it's not about the, you know, this sort of um, endless life of power and youth and beauty. It's an endless life at an age that people don't dream of being. Right. But also it really, her desire to not be a vampire anymore is really rooted in what does it mean to be human, right? What would you miss? And I love some of the things that she wants back in her life, you know, not just aging, but, you know, a BLT. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. But I, you know, I thought 
it would not be fun to, you know, be 51 and be constantly reminded that you can never change. And, you know, really what makes life enjoyable or gives it meaning, and this is informed by the research I did on the death book, is knowing that your life is going to end. You know, that's what, you know, the importance of your life. And um, so a vampire, it's like, it's never going to end. And that, that just seems so boring and daunting, like it's never going to end. And I really would like some ice cream (laughs) and you can't have ice cream. So tell me a little bit about how you just, how you envisioned this, this path back to mortality. Okay. Well, um, I am a member of Al-Anon, which is a group, a 12-step group for friends and family of alcoholics. In this program, you know, it's a program of recovery. It's not about changing the other person. It's about changing ourselves Mm -hmm. and how this addiction has affected us and how we can find peace and serenity in the world, despite whether people are still using or around us. And so with Veronica and her quest to become mortal again, (laughs) the 12 steps were very predominant in that. I mean, it's such a simple thing, you know, for her, all she has to do um, to become mortal again is to find people she's turned into a vampire and make amends to those people. And, and with each person that she, you know, changed into a vampire, there are different reasons why she changed them or, you know, some were impulsive, some were more calculated. Um, But, you know, the way out of this and her torment is through an amends. You know, it seems a rather simple premise, but it is really hard to do in reality. Yes. Yes. It took me a moment actually to realize like, oh, this is the, this is the actual 12 step program that you're modeling, that you're, that you're discussing. And um, I, then I really, I really loved how real that was. I thought it was clever, um, but also really meaningful. And in this idea of redemption through amends um, just seemed like you said, simple, but, but complicated. So the, the scene that we chose is, is one of those moments is when she has, she's tracked down someone that she turned and c- can you set up at all like who this is and what's happening in the scene? Okay, well, so Veronica is a, she's a woman from North Dakota. It's a rural life. It's in the 1800s and she's a widower and she decides to turn another widower, you know, someone in the community so that she feels like, you know, he's a good man. I could probably spend eternity with him. And um, Canute is her first person that she turns into a vampire. And she goes back to North Dakota to go make amends to him and uh, give him his soul back. And as she discovers that he didn't live his life like she did, and so he has a, you know, a much different outcome and becomes mortal instantaneously, unlike her. So let's start the scene. It's set in the present in a remote house 
where Pamela's reimagined vampire mythology includes sunshine that isn't fatal and a return to mortality. This is Forever 51 by Pamela Scholzweig. Veronica let go of his hand and leapt into the room to demonstrate her superior bravery in the face of the sun. Canute shuffled behind her, with his hand now clinging to the back of her shirt. Stop touching me. Go kiss your girl or something. Do you have a mirror in this man cave? Natalia turned her attention from the frying pan. What are you doing? Oh, my goodness, Canute, it's the daytime. What are you thinking? Canute rushed to the kitchen and kissed her on the cheek, as if making the final leap of faith on the strength of love and bacon grease. Don't burn that. What is it? He looked down at the pan and inhaled deeply. Canute, did you ever turn anyone? Like a person? Or did you just stick to the animals? Veronica leaned against the granite counter It occurred to her that she hadn't thought everything through. Not everyone lived as she did. No, just animals. Why? Figures. Oh, those soulless creatures have just changed your life irrevocably, she muttered under her breath. Well, I've got some good news and some bad news for you. Okay. He crossed his arms and hopped up on the counter. Let's start with the good news. The good news is that you can now eat bacon. Natalia, what are you making? BLTs, perhaps? Do me a solid and make up one for your old man. What is she talking about? The bacon will make you sick, won't it? No, it will actually make him fat and happy. Now for the bad news, or maybe good news... It all depends on how you look at it. Veronica pushed off from the counter and began pacing the kitchen with Igor following behind. Make some more toast, Natalia. She snapped her fingers to stop the woman from gawking. I'm waiting. Am I going to die? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Yes, you are going to die, just like a normal person. As a 42-year-old man, you are now at the midpoint of your life. Hair loss, flatulence, and erectile dysfunction await you. Canute stared blankly. I'm 41. Really? I was 10 years older than you? Rawr! She clawed at the air and slapped her hands on his knees. Canute, the extra special sauce news is that what happened downstairs was a gift. I gave you your soul back. His face remained expressionless as he stared at her nervously ticking cheek. But here's the rub. You had more self-control than me in the bloodletting department. So you became mortal in like a millisecond. Unlike me, who still depends on the kindness of dying people to sup, you can now eat all the bacon and ice cream you could possibly ever want. Sleep till noon on a Monday. And die, like Elvis on the toilet, if you so wish. I, on the other hand, 
have to traipse around this godforsaken country in search of people that I never want to see again and apologize to them just to get where you are at this exact moment. Am I making any sense? She exhaled and moved back to the other counter in case he lost it. Here's the sandwich. Natalia handed it to him on a dainty, ancient plate. I put the mayo on it the way I like it, and I cut the tomato very thin so it doesn't make the toast wet and squishy. You try. Stand over the sink for the crumbs. I just cleaned. Canute glanced over at Natalia, as if just then noticing her. You're a fantastic cook. Thank you. He walked over to the sink and sniffed the sandwich. Last time I tried to eat, a dry heaved for an hour. Are you sure about this? Veronica nodded. You'll be fine. More than fine. Go ahead. I dare you. He opened his mouth and took a bite, chewing longer than was necessary. He struggled to swallow it. How do you feel? Are you going to throw up the bacon? Natalia rubbed his back as if he were sick. Canute's unfocused gaze lingered on the kitchen cabinets as the first tentative toast crumbs dusted his beard like whole wheat snow. No, I don't think so. It just takes a little getting used to. He looked back down at the mayonnaise miracle on his plate. I think I want another one. I'm so hungry. Unlike Ingrid, Canute ate slowly and cautiously. It took him over an hour to finish three sandwiches. But Veronica was in no hurry. He seemed to be enjoying himself, like an infant discovering solid foods for the first time. While petting Igor, who seemed to have taken a shine to her, her mind wandered back to Jenny. How were the next few days going to play out? Meth withdrawal wasn't as bad as heroin, but depending on her level of use and the dopamine receptors she had destroyed, she would be unable to feel anything close to joy. That is, unless she used again, which was what made the march to relapse so inevitable. Ready for your next adventure? Veronica placed a squirming Igor onto the couch as Canute wiped the crumbs from his beard. Sure. Let's go outside. I'd love some sunflowers to cheer up my motel room. She skipped towards the door. When did you become Mary Poppins? Canute grabbed a sweater from the coat rack. When I stopped spending my days in a basement. There's an amazing world out there, Canute. And the internet doesn't do it justice. Veronica felt awfully proud of herself and the ease in which Canute accepted his new reality. She reasoned that sudden and unexpected change was easiest when the shine of possibility overshadowed the dust bunnies and dirt that hid in the corners. Tomorrow would be trickier. Before we return to my conversation with Pamela, I wanted to tell you something about her. I've been asking authors and everyone really about their experience during the pandemic, the silver linings, 
and the losses. Pamela's experience took my breath away. 2020 was like one of the worst years of my life. My mom died two weeks before my book came out. So I'm like, I don't even feel like doing anything. And I haven't done anything. I don't know. I've been in grief counseling. That's what I've, I've been doing. You know, I had a couple events planned. Um, I actually wrote a, a press release about I was doing a blood drive. We were having it at an independent bookstore in Fort Worth. It was going to all be outside. And that press release got me in the Washington Post. Um, Ron Charles with the Washington Post wrote about me. Um, I told him what happened. He had no idea. He just thought it was a really funny press release about, you know, a blood drive for a vampire debut novel. He just thought that was hilarious. And, and then I told him what actually, you know, was happening. And, you know, I tried to do some online events but, you know, my heart really wasn't in it because I lost, you know, my mom and she was very important to me. This is where Pamela and I talked about essential things, like her mom, her whole family, really, her husband and kids and animals. Then she settled on one answer to the what is essential question. And... Another essential thing is I love pedicures. I love to, I love just to have my feet rubbed. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's a weird thing, but um, it's not even so much about the polish. It's just about a like human connection. Um, yeah. Yeah. So human touch. That's what I'll say. Yes. I think human touch is a great answer. It's a big thing. I mean, I, you know, and I'm a person who's always been kind of weird about hugging. It's like, it makes me uncomfortable because I don't come from a huggy family, but like, I have been like, I want all the hugs now. <laughs> I'm like, give me the hugs because it has been, it is so lacking um, over this past year. You know, I think that was the big thing with, you know, my mom being in the hospital. We couldn't, we couldn't be in the same room together and just looking, you know, the, all they could offer was FaceTime. Oh, it just made her so uncomfortable. And she's like, you know, so ang anxious and can't breathe. And it's like, I can't watch my mom like this on a screen, you know? So not being able to just be in a room and hold someone's hand was just horrible. It was just unprecedented, right? You know, that was just unprecedented. That you would not be able to be with her. Uh, like, I would never have been imagined a, a situation that would have led to that, you know? And um, yeah, this is just, I, it, nothing has ever, you know, prepared me for this. And, you know, it is, you know, because not everyone was touched by COVID, you know? Yes. Right. And I'm in a support group on Facebook where, you know, people who have lost someone um, during this pandemic get together. Um, but you go out in public and there's people who are like, I, this didn't affect me and this isn't worse, you know, or they may have gotten it, but they got it to a lesser degree. And they're like, well, this was just like the flu. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. And I really have to, um, 
just hold my tongue, you yeah. know. Thank you for being so open about it and talking about it. Pamela wrote a diary-style article published by CNN about her mom's last days. It is stark, sparse in its language, and yet heavy, full of emotion. I'll put a link in the show notes and a picture of Pamela and her mom on the Desideratum website. Of course, you can also find a link to her website, her books, Death Becomes Us, and Forever 51. She's working with a book-to-film agent and hopes to sell Forever 51 as a series. Follow her on social media for more. Thanks for listening.